This is Off Zero, brought to you by LearnBitcoin.io. All right. Welcome to Off Zero, the new podcast from the team at LearnBitcoin.io, where any topic is welcome as long as it's Bitcoin. I'm your host, Keith Laska, also known to my students as Professor B. Just a quick reminder, LearnBitcoin.io is the easiest way for individuals and companies to learn about Bitcoin. It includes CE credits for CFP and IWI and access to a Discord community where you can meet, network, and connect with other Bitcoiners. Uh, invest in yourself, a family member, or orange pill your financial advisor today at LearnBitcoin.io. Today, I'm joined by Rajat Soni, who has exploded onto the Bitcoin scene with his unwavering commitment uh, to the core principles of Bitcoin as the world's most pristine collateral. So welcome, Rajat, to the Off Zero podcast. Thank you so much. It's, uh, right. it's definitely, definitely something to something that I, I learned about more recently. So, Yep. We're going to get into that. The, um, you know, we, we donate to uh, a charity of your choice. Uh, basically for coming on to the podcast. And today you've chosen the Satoshi Action Fund, right? Um, so thank you for that. The Satoshi Action Fund uh, basically promotes Bitcoin advocacy at a federal and state level, uh, focusing on privacy, self-custody, and protecting mining rights uh, around the country. So thank you very much for your donation there. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, so like... Let's get into it, man. There, uh, the price is pumping. Um, you know, the Rolex watches are coming back out. Imagery of people getting interviews on planes again, and I think this is your first Bitcoin bull market. Is that right? Yes. So last Bitcoin bull market, I was on the sidelines. I was learning about it, but I didn't really. I didn't dip my toe in. I, I just. I almost missed out. I mean, I did miss out, but that's okay. That's cool. That's cool. That's, we're, we're very early still. Uh, so tell us about your story. How did you get involved in, in Bitcoin? What's your background? Just uh, give our listeners a little little update on you. So I have a background in the just the legacy financial system. I worked in the financial system for about 10 years. Um, I, I was posting about just how to improve your finances, how to improve your personal finances, how to invest in the stock market for almost two years. And in the meantime, I was studying how Bitcoin works. I was trying to learn a little bit more about where this is going, how it even started, how all all that stuff, what the the nuances are, what what could go wrong, what could go right. So over the last maybe three months, it really clicked, and mm. I switched my content just in general from uh, from just the the legacy financial system, stocks, real estate, bonds over to Bitcoin. So I started off, I was working in, uh, in, in the bond uh, industry. I was, I was working as almost a bond trader. Um, <clears throat> we, I, I was constantly surrounded by people trying to earn yield, constantly surrounded by people trying to figure out how to beat the market. And at, at the end of the day, you could hold Bitcoin, do literally nothing. You could, you could just sit in your bed all day and you'd be outperforming all of these people. So just the fact <laughs> that it's being monetized and and things are going much faster than I expected them to go. And I, I think that this will be the trend going forward, right? I don't think people will be wanting to buy bonds when they're considered risk-free, but they're really not. Um, they, I, I think stocks will slowly be devalued. Real estate will slowly be devalued against this. So I've really 
I've really turned my, I, I guess I've turned my content around. I want people to not miss out on this, right? Anybody that's been trying to build wealth, trying to figure things out, try to trying to save for retirement. I mean, this is, in my opinion, this is the way to go. Going from somebody who was primarily speaking about the legacy market to this, this is definitely the way to go. So this is a perfect conversation because you've got a, a, a good deal of experience in, in TradFi uh, and you've kind of, through research and very recent research, I mean, you, you kind of really started to turn the, the spricket on with Bitcoin content in the past few months. You've just kind of taken that orange pill and you've swallowed it and now you're, you believe in Bitcoin. And I follow you very closely because I love your insights um, on, on X and, and other socials. You got a little bit of slack for kind of constantly posting on Bitcoin lately. Uh, how'd you feel about that? Because I know you responded to that. I think it really just matters. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter just because people don't understand it yet, right? I mean, most people right now, they don't see this as, as something that can actually go somewhere. I think a majority okay. of people that I've spoken to, I, I've had probably two, 300 people reach out to me just asking how to buy Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? I've had probably... 20 to 30 people message me, tell me to stop posting about Bitcoin because that's not what they're interested in. And if you're not interested in this at this point, after it's been out for 15 years, if you haven't put in the time to do the research, you're the one who's going to miss out, right? If you if you don't like the content, I think at the at the end of the day, it maybe it's something that's against you, right? Maybe you should be learning more. Yeah. Right. And I mean, X is a free speech platform. So just, mm -hmm. you know, follow somebody else if, if that's not the content you're looking for. But I have a sense that you're going to find a lot of uh, a lot of followers who are interested in all of the great pieces of um, research that you've done that you post. And I know you're a voracious reader as well. Uh, you've, you've picked up quite a few books on on Bitcoin and you're always looking for more content. What's one what's one book that you've picked up uh, over the past few months that you loved and, and why did you like it? I think the I, it wasn't in the past few months, but just in general, I think the best one that I've picked up is the Bitcoin Standard. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I, over the past few months, I actually haven't been reading as many Bitcoin books. I've been more listening to podcasts, listening to people's perspectives. I think that's where a lot of the knowledge comes from, right? A book, a book is one person's perspective. It'll take you, it'll take you down some rabbit holes. But when you listen to podcasts, for example, when you listen to uh, a podcast like yours. When you, when you listen to podcasts from everyone, I mean, you see different people's perspectives from different parts of the world. If you constantly listen to, uh, try to absorb content from people in North America, for example, you're only going to get that perspective, right? So what I've been doing is instead of reading the books, I've been listening to more and more podcasts. I've been trying to put in more time to do that. I've been listening to a lot of, uh, a lot of the old audiobooks, uh, Creature from Jekyll Island, um, Jeff Booth came out with a book. I am actually planning on reading it. And we actually discussed uh, Lynn Alden's book, uh, yeah. Broken Money. I, I, I yeah. have the order put in. It's supposed to come in. I think they're seeing some delays because there's so many people trying to buy Bitcoin books. Oh, right now, for sure. Absolutely. That's that's a, that's a great point about uh, learning and education. It is multifaceted and multi-threaded. Um, and you do kind of ultimately take a consolidation of everything you've you've seen and heard over the week. And that kind of forms more conviction and, and, and solid points of view. And I'm personally a fan of listening to podcasts where there are skeptics and critics, as well as, you know, those that are whole hog into, into Bitcoin, because I think that, you know, and, and you, this would relate to you in order to 
get the legacy system to truly understand some of the principles of Bitcoin, you have to be patient and you have to teach them and educate them over time. Um, it, when, I, when I speak to somebody about LearnBitcoin.io, it, it, it takes about 45 to 50 minutes before a traditional financial individual or financial advisor is like, oh, wait a minute, that's its Kager, right? And, and you know, that's its 200-day moving average base and, and all of these kinds of things that they just don't pay attention to. Um, and so it still is a very, very much a one-to-one kind of experience. Um, and so tell us about the price. Now we're up to, I don't know, 43, 40,000, $44,000 right now. Um, there's a bit of, you know, excitement. There's a bit of greed coming out on the greed fear index. What do you think is happening? I think people are finally starting to figure it out, right? I mean, it's not even, um, it's not just regular people that are doing this. I think right now it's mainly Bitcoiners. If you, Mm -hmm. I actually searched, uh, Google trends to see if people are trying to figure this out doesn't really seem like there's much of an uptick compared to let's say okay we're we're away we're what 30% away from the top yep. last time yep. at the top at 69,000 there were so many people looking at how this works if you look at the trends on Google you you'll see a a huge uptick right now people aren't figuring it out right i think a lot of this demand is coming from people who are already in the bitcoin space but i think that's a good thing because <clears throat> these people will eventually start distributing their coins, right? Let's say I know, I know quite a few people who want to start businesses just based around mm-hmm. Bitcoin and the people who are mm-hmm. working for them, maybe they're people who have never earned Bitcoin before, who have never uh, bought Bitcoin before. They're going to be paid in Bitcoin, right? So they're going to be put at an advantage. So, I mean, the price is obviously uh, it's moving before the having. I think there's the anticipation people have figured it out, but there's also the ETFs, the ETF approvals maybe coming anytime soon. Who who knows? I mean, even if they're rejected, even if price drops 50%, once you see the value here, there's, it doesn't really matter, right? The price, yeah. price is irrelevant. If you, as long as you're paying, yeah. as long as you're able to pay fiat currencies in exchange for this, you're early. Absolutely. And I like, I, I think if you've been in, in, into Bitcoin for a while, an approval is exciting, but so is a, so is a, uh, uh, denial. Right, yeah. um, because it means more time to stack at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's the, that's what people are lacking, right? People, people, we we had a we had a time where we basically went back in time to 2017 when the price was sixteen thousand dollars. We had that opportunity. A lot of people missed out, and they're missing out again. I don't want them to miss out. That's why I've been posting so much more about this. Yep, absolutely. So um, I, I read a post this morning of somebody who works in El Salvador. Obviously, El Salvador made made Bitcoin legal tender, and I saw the most beautiful use case. They they said that they've been getting paid in Bitcoin all year. They've actually been able to live off of the appreciation uh, of their Bitcoin stack, and yeah. I just thought that was an amazing thing to see. Right, and of course, you know, everybody says hold on to Bitcoin forever, but there there are in various individuals at various points in their lives, and some people need to liquidate to to survive. But just, just the, um, the interesting note was that there are use cases popping up in different parts of the world where people are actually living off of appreciation of their Bitcoin. And it gets me to think about uh, Pierre Rochard's speculative attack article in July 2014. If you haven't read it yet, check it out. But he, he talks about the fiat bleed and the fact that at some point in the future, um, people aren't going aren't gonna to want to buy Bitcoin. They're going to be forced to buy Bitcoin through economic reality. Uh, and I think we're kind of seeing the beginnings of that play out in places like Argentina and El Salvador and Turkey. Um, 
and and Lebanon. So it's very interesting to see see that that happen. Um, and so, big question: When you're going to move to El Salvador? I don't know, um, but I, I mean, I think it's going to happen everywhere, right? It's going to happen everywhere. Yeah. I, I spoke to I spoke to a very seasoned real estate agent uh, not too long. I personally am a, I I have my license to to sell real estate, and I'm I'm telling people this as quickly as I can, as much as I can. Real estate is going to lose value because real estate investors are slowly going to realize that this is a better investment, right? Real estate is. Yes. It, it's a, it's a commodity. It's a it has a specific utility. The shelter value of real estate hasn't changed, right? But what has changed mm. is that there's more people buying it to make a profit from it. So I, I've spoken to m multiple real realtors. They've been in the industry for 30, 40 years, so they don't they can't think of anything different, right? But they, mm. all they see is that real estate provides cash flow. Bitcoin doesn't, right? But eventually, what you'll realize is that even if you sell a part of your Bitcoin, if you sell a certain amount. Over time, your your buying power increases, even if you get rid of a mm -hmm. bit of it. So you don't need to hold all of it. You don't need to be holding a whole Bitcoin for the rest of your life, right? If you want to, go for it. But if you have one Bitcoin, eventually the price will be moving. Right now, I mean, it's moving at, what, 150% a year? I don't mm -hmm. think we're going to see diminishing returns because a lot of the supply is already out there. A lot of the supply is lost. A lot of the supply is, is gone forever right and a lot of people are putting it in cold storage they're not going to move it for five ten years so over time the buying power will increase it'll probably increase i think it'll increase faster than 50 60 percent per year for the next 15 20 years until bitcoin until bitcoin is the world reserve currency right but mm. i think as people realize that you can sell your bitcoin and still maintain your purchasing power or increase your purchasing power over time that's where that's where the trick is people don't realize that people think okay i have i bought an asset I want to keep that asset forever. That's where hoarding starts mm. happening, right? People are hoarding yep. stocks. They're hoarding real estate. They're they're hoarding as much as they can. They're not going to get rid of it. But with Bitcoin, it almost forces you to redistribute because over time, more people will want Bitcoin. And maybe you'll get a discount by paying in Bitcoin instead of paying in US dollars, right? So it almost yeah. pushes you to get rid of your coins, to to appreciate the value of it, to actually enjoy what it can do for you. Right. So in the legacy yeah. system, that's not the case. Right. In the legacy system, we have 401ks where they're forcing you to hold your money till 55, 60, 65. Right. They don't want you. Well, they, the government does not want you. The regulations don't they're not favoring people who want to consume today, because if everybody started consuming today, what's going to happen to prices? Right. Mm. We're not working the on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Saying the interesting thing uh, to touch on, on your points there. So. There, there are constant debates on on X around whether real estate is a better long term investment that you can gain yield from, or Bitcoin. And and I think it's to your point. I think it's it's a bit early right now. Um, I think a lot of people who have been through a cycle uh, have seen BlockFi go down, right? Have seen Celsius go down. Have seen what's happened with FTX and Binance. They get very, very concerned uh, about loaning out their Bitcoin. Um, but I, I do think there it is the most pristine form of collateral that exists. And if Bitcoin appreciates to a level where you can take a very, very low LTV and loan, you know, just basically uh, 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 loan out fiat against your Bitcoin, you know, you don't have to deal with tenants. You don't have to deal with repairs. 
you don't have to try to find the right neighborhood or, or property to buy. Um, in, in my opinion, like that would be the, the most optimal form of collateral to loan against in the future. And I think Michael Saylor has said that many times. He's like, I'm never selling my Bitcoin. I'm going to, I'm going to eventually borrow mm-hmm. off of it. Um, you know, and, and so you're, you're, you're absolutely right there in terms of the different types of, of, um, assets that people are looking at for yield. I do think it's, it's, it's a little ways away. I mean, British Hodel mentioned, um, that, you know, he might start looking at the next cycle at, at, uh, loaning off his Bitcoin when we get to the 200 moving day average reset. Um, but I think, you know, and there are other, other, uh, products out there. Unchained has, you know, a non rehypothecated, uh, loan facility, um, you know, and, and there, there, there potentially are kind of, uh, applications and infrastructure for loans and, and, um, and other types of things that are that are derived off of the base layer of Bitcoin, but I still think we're a little ways away. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it could probably take a, a few years. I, I don't think it's going to happen very quickly. I, I think it'll take a few years. Over time, it'll become easier, though, right? It'll it'll just become yeah. easier. We're going to figure out a market rate of in, of interest where that's where it where where it all starts, right? Once we, I think right now people are still trying to figure out what it even is, so most mm-hmm. people have no clue what the interest rate should be. But once people figure it out, once more and more people start getting into the into the economy, once they start using it as a store of value, they're going to see that okay, this is something that I can that that I can borrow against, and it's something that a lender doesn't need to worry about the quality of it or the the specifics. Like if, like you said, for real estate, you need location is the most important thing. You can buy real estate, but if you buy it in the wrong location, you made the, you made a, a mistake. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely. Bitcoin. Bitcoin is all fungible. So, <laughs> and then the other thing that people are talking about is is investing in these potential ETFs that are coming out, and then you know uh, borrowing off of the the appreciation of those ETFs over time. So, I guess uh, what's your view on spot Bitcoin ETFs? What's your what you know? Will they be approved? Will they not be approved? Is it a good thing for the Bitcoin ecosystem? Not a good thing. What's your general thought there? I think it's a I think it's a good thing. I, I definitely think a lot of people are going to get exposure to Bitcoin because of the ETFs. A lot of people are too scared to even buy coins and put it in their own custody. So I, I think that stops a lot of people. I, I've personally spoken to quite a few people who don't want to uh, take their coins off exchanges, right? So um, you can obviously do something like collabor- collaborative custody. Um, you can do something like multi-sig. You could work with with different companies that that do that um but I, I think the etfs most people trust blackrock right they don't think blackrock is going away uh, i think the the institutional involvement is what's going to really push this forward right 93% of the supply is already mined it's already in the hands of the people blackrock probably owns a certain amount obviously fidelity probably owns a certain amount but let's say even if 70, 60% was held by regular people or lost, right? I think it's still going to be more easily distributed than any other asset, right? I mean, with stocks, for example, insiders own a huge chunk of the company and they can't sell. It's impossible for them to sell. In this case, BlackRock, all these ETFs will make it, um, they'll make it easier for people to sell if they want to. I think they'll stabilize prices a little bit. If I, I personally think that because of the ETFs, we may not even have 
uh, 80, 90% bear market market anymore, right? Because these ETFs, I mean, BlackRock knows in advance, there's a four-year cycle around the two-year mark, uh, prices are going to drop. So let's save some cash to do that. And obviously, BlackRock, Fidelity, all these companies, any ETF issuer, they benefit from having the price go up, right? They, they make higher fees. They'll probably, I mean, it, to them, it's like, okay, what if, what if we can give a, a decreasing price over time? People will be so much happier. Uh, people will be benefiting from that. So to them, it's all about making profits, right? They don't actually care about the asset. They, they want to make profits. And Bitcoin's incentives pushes them to be able to make those profits because the price will go up, right? They'll continue making more and more in profits. They'll they'll continue to 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 profit off this. They'll they'll continue to to increase whatever they have. Um, but I mean, again, over time, they're incentivized to increase the price. I think it's. I agree with you completely, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time. I mean, if you if you think about you know ETFs launching, it's. It, I, I talk to a lot of financial advisors, and they're still very much in the dark about about Bitcoin. Um, they ask me for arbitrage opportunities, and my answer is, well, buy Bitcoin spot before the ETFs come out. That's there's, that's the only arbitrage that's, that's really left. Um, but really, you know, once those ETFs are approved, there's a bit of seeding that's happened. I think it's going to take a while for people to convince the world that they should allocate 1% to 3% um, of their portfolio to this. And then we're going to have to wait for a period of time. I don't know if it's 12, 18, 24 months for those individuals to see that the 1% Bitcoin allocation outperformed a lot of other portfolio allocations. They're like, oof, if I had only, you know, allocated 2 or 3% to Bitcoin, I would have been better off. And so I think... I think we're looking at, you know, that FOMO, but over a longer period of time, which fits perfectly with your theory that we might not see these significant volatility drops anymore in the price. It's just we're kind of almost smoothing out Bitcoin's price movements to the upside with the advent of these ETFs. Um, although I will say I'm very concerned about the fact that the vast majority of this spot uh, Bitcoin is going to be sitting with one company. And that really kind of defeats the purpose of decentralization. Um, so what what would you say uh, in, across your kind of learnings and conversations with people and studies? What, what are your biggest fears about Bitcoin? So I think the ETFs may actually make it so that people can have their uh, their assets more easily seized. Right. Because executives, mm-hmm. executive order 6102, 1933, we had uh we had the issue of people keeping their gold, their gold certificates, all of their wealth at banks. And it just made it a lot easier for, for the government, for anybody who wanted to seize it, to seize it, right? Because all they had to do is they had to go through one party and everybody's assets, it's it's a, a honeypot. So basically everything is in one spot. Anybody can go to it. They can take everything much much more easily than if they had to go to each individual's house, right? So if somebody had to go to, 300 million people's houses to get their assets instead of going to BlackRock, right? It's it's a much harder job to do, much more expensive. It's almost not even worth it, right? At that point, you might as well just stack more Bitcoin instead of going to each individual person's house. Just buy it, mark up, put, put the market price up as much as you can and have people sell it. People will sell it, right? Um, but I think one of the concerns here is that people don't see this. People don't see the fact that it can be taken from them. But, but again, everything... Everything helps Bitcoin, right? So if the U.S. government starts, if they start uh, confiscating it, 
I guess you can call it black market Bitcoin. Black market Bitcoin prices will go up, right? Because having money off the exchanges, having money out of the, out of the, I guess the control of governments, of control of really financial in- industry, that that Bitcoin will be worth more, right? Because you have more freedom mm. with it. You can't do anything with the ETF Bitcoin, right? Because the ETF Bitcoin is likely just going to sit there, and you're really just getting uh, fiat uh, exposure when you have it in the ETF. You're not really getting you're not getting Bitcoin. Bitcoin's benefits are that it's permissionless. The ETF is not permissionless. You're still asking for permission when you want to liquidate it, when you want to take your shares out. I mean, at the end of the day, the price is going to be uh, it's going to be nine. The market is going to be open from 9.30 till 4 Eastern Standard Time. The point of Bitcoin is to be able to transact whenever you want to, right? It's that freedom that comes with it. That's the benefit. It's not having it held with a with a custodian. When, when, you, when, you, have your, when you have your Bitcoin at ET, in an ETF, when you have it in the hands of BlackRock, you're not really, you're not getting the, the benefits that, that should come with Bitcoin holding, right? Mm-hmm. That's such a great point. Uh, it really, really is. And, and I, I saw a couple of posts about this where uh, people were like, there's going to be KYC mm-hmm. Bitcoin. And then there's going to be, as you say, black market Bitcoin at some point in the future. Just for our listeners, you sound very familiar with April 5th, 1933 and Executive Order 6102. What, what happened then uh, to gold? So uh, in 19, from 1920 till uh, 1929, we had the Roaring Twenties. Um, Banks started, I guess they started lending a lot more to speculators, investment speculators. The stock market went up four times. The Dow Jones Industrial Average went up four times, right? So obviously this led to people having money. I guess almost you can call it fake money, which was made from the stock market and they could use that to buy real goods. So if somebody had, if somebody earned four times their money just from sitting on a stock, they can now buy four times as many things, right? So what that does is automatically pushes prices up. Right, so commodity prices go up, housing prices go up, real estate price, uh, sorry, food prices go up, car prices go up. So what uh, what the government, what the U.S. government did was it, or sorry, not the U.S., the central bank. What 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 uh, what happened was the interest rates started going up from 1928 till 1929. As soon as those interest rates started going up, stock market speculators could no longer cover their payments. Right. So they started selling. They got scared. They started selling all their speculative assets. They started selling all their houses. They started selling all their stocks. So the Dow Jones actually reached lower lows in, I believe it was in 1932 or 1933. And people started getting scared. They started taking their deposits out of banks. So the U.S. government came out and said, hey, don't worry. You're you're perfectly fine. You can leave your money in the bank. You can put it right back if you want to. We'll keep it safe. We'll keep it safe for you. So they basically gave them an assurance that, okay, your money is still there. Don't worry. The banking system is not about to collapse. So that was in, that was in I believe, March of 1933. And then just a month later, Executive Order 6102 came out where it made it illegal to hold gold, anything above five ounces of gold. So you had to give in your gold bullion. You had to give in your gold coins. You had to give in your gold certificates. So it was it was made illegal, right? So... They basically made money illegal in favor of uh, government-issued currency. So Executive Order 16, 6102 basically took power away from individuals, right? It, they got $20, 20 US dollars per ounce of gold that they gave in. And then by the following year, the US government had, or sorry, the central, the, the Federal Reserve had printed so many currencies to make up for all of the, the losses from banks because of the Great Depression 
in from 19, uh, 1929 till 1939, they had printed up so much money that one ounce of gold was now worth $35 an ounce or sorry, $35. Mm. So they had devalued the U S dollar by, uh, what? 60% or so, which is absolutely insane. Because if you think about it, people don't see it from that perspective. They just think that, okay, gold went up in value, but it didn't. The U S dollar went down in value. Your food prices aren't going up in value. It's the U S dollar that's losing value. Right, it's being transferred mm. to people who own assets. So, so again, sixty one hundred two was basically just a way for governments to take, to take power, for governments to stop individuals from being self sovereign, from to force them to buy stocks, real estate, invest in 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 the U.S. and mm. make them be basically slaves to the system. Then that is some good history, and uh, as you were. Explaining that, I kept drawing correlations to the past few years and then thinking, well, you know, it's going to be very hard to kind of control a decentralized uh, asset. So why don't we approve the spot ETFs? And, there we're, and therefore, we've got a little bit more control over this. Interestingly, if what I do know from, from my research is uh, Satoshi Nakamoto's apparent birthday was April 5th, 1975. Uh, and a lot oh. of people think he he listed that out there as a uh, an homage to April fifth, nineteen thirty three, when um, when FDR signed that executive order. Uh, so that that's really really interesting. I, I'd call it Bitcoin prehistory. I think everybody should be aware of that. I didn't. Know I also that. have the same. Yeah, no, it's 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 a weird uh, kind of factoid that I I have somewhere in my head. But um, the other thing that's interesting is uh, Jack Dorsey's just invested in a. Uh, a company that is looking to re-decentralize mining. You know, we talk about the uh, decentralized characteristics of Bitcoin's network and protocol, but, uh, you know, the vast majority of hash rate, hash power kind of sits with like five companies, right? Five pools. And so that's that's something I think taking the ETF and then taking the centralization of mining and looking at both of those next to each other, it's something that we're going to con- continue to kind of have to fight against if we want a decentralized money system, if we want a separation between money and state, much like we had a separation in many countries between church and state uh, many hundreds of years ago. That's super interesting. Um, there's, here's another question for you. Um, and, and, you know, this, this topic gets, gets raised in podcasts, gets raised in conversations. Um, I get concerned about Bitcoin becoming politicized. And and I think that could be in addition to what you're talking about centralization and the fear of of removal of self custody. Uh, that's a that's a pretty big concern of mine because when I speak to Bitcoiners, the last thing that that enters the equation is you know what are what party do you affiliate with, right? We're talking about Bitcoin, but I'm starting to see the edges kind of uh, stretch in a little bit to the the political debate. What are your what are your views on that? Do you think Bitcoin should stay completely out of politics? Um, and how can we how can we kind of uh, push a non political agenda for for Bitcoin? I think Bitcoin I think Bitcoin will restructure politics, right? It'll change people from um, seeing money as something that can be just created at will to being something that has an opportunity cost. Right now, money doesn't have an opportunity mm-hmm. cost, right? So there's no interest rate that you have to pay. Interest is very low. Eventually, I mean, even even with the current system, the interest rates are very low, and you can print out more money if you make mistakes, right? If companies that are too big to fail can just be bailed out by by the Federal Reserve or or the government by creating bills. So, 
I mean, in, in this case, there's no way to do that, right? You have a pool of money. You can only use that pool of money and you have to be careful with how you spend it, right? So this, I, th- I think it, I, I think Bitcoin, it's going to change how politics happens, how it works. It's going to change people's perspectives on how they should spend money. Instead of spending money on things to make people happy, instead of worrying about feelings, we're going to be more worried about facts, right? We're going to be, we're going to be worried about... It. Okay, so over the last little while, I think we've spent a couple trillion dollars on climate change and barely made a difference, right? Mm. I, I think instead of doing something like that, instead of looking at the the symptom... We're going, to, we're going to be looking at the cause, right? So we're going to be looking at who is actually creating these problems instead of getting people to, to, to use paper straws instead of plastic. We're going to start looking at who are the, the major polluters, right? And then the attack is going to, it's going to go towards that. Instead of wasting time trying minor things, we're going to go towards doing major things. And I mean, over time, if the right decisions aren't made, if... The decisions don't have the impact that politics say that they politicians say that they will. Those people will be voted out, right? They'll be mm-hmm. voted out very quickly. Today, you can pretty much lie. People don't look at cycles. They don't care because money can be printed at will. You can do whatever you want to. Uh, a lot of these politicians are controlled by government uh, by by institution uh, executives, right? So over time, that's not going to be the case when. When institutions get smaller, because if you think about it, it's going to become less profitable when you have people who actually want high quality products. It'll be more of a, let's say, for example, with food. Today, to to manage the, the supply that we need, to manage the demand, companies are putting more and more crappy ingredients in their food, right? In the future... And they've pretty much bought out the FDA. They've bought out politicians. They've they've found ways to create bills that support them. But in the future, that won't be the case, right? Because all of these companies, they're not going to have... Bitcoiners don't want to spend money on processed garbage, right? I I know I personally know so many Bitcoiners who are ranchers. Um, I'm a part of a a bunch of Bitcoin groups. People are selling value. They're selling actual value instead of selling... um, computer created food, uh, 3D printed steak, they're creating, they're selling actual steak where they take care of the cows, right? So it's not, I think we're going to a world where people are going to be expecting higher quality. A lot of people spend money on garbage today, but that money is going to be transferred over to people who are creating actual true value, right? So that's where the politics come in. So, so when politics, when politicians have less control over this, when they when they can't control the organizations that actually create our food, it's gonna be, everything is going to be dis- become decentralized because of this, right? Even politicians, politics mm. is going to be dis- decentralized. So their power won't be with them; it'll be with everybody. That's great. I love a, a society based more on math than emotions. Uh, yeah. Would be fantastic. That's great. So we're we're just about to wrap up. I have one final question for you. If you had a microphone and the entire world could tune into you for 30 seconds, what would you tell them? Study Bitcoin. That's it. I, I think that's all I think I that's all that needs to be said. Study Bitcoin. If I could even get to 1% of the population, if we go from 1% adoption to 2% adoption, that just makes the it makes the the growth a lot faster, 
right? It, it, yep. I think we're I think we're in hyper Bitcoinization right now. I think more and more companies, more and more individuals are accepting Bitcoin as the asset that they want to hold. And the only way to really increase this is by talking to family and friends. I think that that study Bitcoin, I think that 1% will eventually turn into 2%, 4%, 8%. It'll it'll increase over time. That's great. Thanks so much. How can everybody find you? Uh, So I'm on Twitter, Rajat Sony Finance. The finance doesn't have an I. I'm also on Instagram, Rajat Sony Finance. Again, finance has an I in this case. Um, I also have a newsletter where I, I've mostly started talking about Bitcoin now. Um, there's so many, there's so many rabbit holes, so many perspectives to explore. I, I think, I think there's never, there's never, there's never too much content, right? You can always get more That's... and more perspectives. So those are those are the the, the best ways that uh, anybody can follow my content. Excellent. We'll make sure to tag you when we post this out. Uh, Raja, thank you so much for joining us today. That was really thought-provoking, and I enjoyed the conversation. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Keith. You as well. I I enjoyed that conversation. Excellent. Talk soon. Learn more at learnbitcoin.io.